somebody who's with me. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in our church. We thank you for this weather, and we pray uh, that you would just be here. We pray that your presence would be here. We pray that you would speak, God. We just, we want to encounter you today. We want to know you deeper today. We want to come away from this message encouraged, empowered, and then lifted. And we thank you so much for who you are. We love you today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 So for the past couple of weeks, we've been in this sermon series called Predecided. Predecided. And today is the very final message in this Predecided series. Today is week seven in Predecided. And what we've kind of said, we put a little formula out there. I've said it every week, and so I'm going to say it this week. When I'm faced with blank situation, I've predecided to do something, right? So when we predecide something, there's a power in predeciding. There's a power in deciding ahead of time. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to react. But instead, I'm going to respond about how I have predecided to respond to move forward. And today we're concluding this message. And last week we talked about faithful. And the reason we're doing this is, is really simple. For one simple thing, we've said it every week, I'm going to say it again, is when your values are clear, decisions are easier. When your values are clear, decisions are easier. So today we're going to finish it with predeciding to finish well. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me and grab them out to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. Um, but before I get there, uh, I want to tell you a quick little story. So a few years back, I was working out at Planet Fitness. And, uh, and you know, I was trying to get in shape. And I listened to this leadership talk. One of the things I like to do when I'm working out is listen to leadership talks to try to, you know, get better. And so I was listening to this leadership talk, and this guy was sharing about how what he would do on the treadmill to kind of challenge himself is he would pick someone else on the treadmill adjacent to him, and then he would race them. He would say, I'm going to stay on the treadmill longer than this person, right? And so I thought, oh, that's kind of a cool thing, so I'm going to do that too. So I go into Planet Fitness, and I'll never forget this. I'm on the second row. I always did the second row of treadmills. And so I'm on the second row of treadmills, and I'm looking around. I look to the left, and I see some people who are wearing hokas. You know what those are? Like $300 running shoes. And I'm like, definitely not those people. You know what I mean, right? I see some people who are wearing clothes, and they look fit. You know, and I'm like, definitely not those people either. Then I survey to the right. And I see this gentleman. He's wearing a sweatshirt that says 1944. And I'm not sure if that was his birth year or if that was just something that was close to it, and, and no offense, but that's, you know, about how old I thought he was. So I thought, that's my guy, right? And I thought, that's the guy. I'm racing him, okay? I, I'm going to race him, and I'm going to beat this guy. And I don't know if this guy was Louie from Unbroken or what he was, but an hour and a half later, this gentleman is still powering on the treadmill. And I'm thinking to myself, what did I get myself into? Like, this guy's stamina is unbelievable, but I'm, I'm battling with myself because I'm like, you can't lose. And you especially can't lose to someone who's 50 years older than you, right? Like, you definitely can't lose to that because you need to fight. And so I'm fighting, and I promise you, at the end of that treadmill session, my entire treadmill was wet. Have you ever been around one of those people? You walk by and you're like, gross, you're a disgusting person. That was me, right? The floor was wet. In fact, the, per the people who worked at Planet Fitness came over and got a mop and immediately started mopping my treadmill. And I thought, I pay 20 bucks a month for this, okay? So, like, you're getting your money's worth, right? Like, it was insane. And I promise you, I looked at this, this gentleman's treadmill. I don't think he sweated one time. 
hour and a half on incline. He didn't sweat. He didn't break a sweat. He was just like he was chilling in Florida. You know what I mean? This is unbelievable. And I learned an important lesson that day, okay? That I need to run my race. I don't need to run the race of somebody else. I don't need to challenge myself with somebody else who's in front of me or challenge myself with somebody who's to the right or to the left. I need to focus on myself. And I really think this is important. If we're going to finish well, we need to focus on the race that we are running, the race that Jesus has called you to run, not somebody else. So today I'm going to try to answer this question. How do I pre-decide to finish well? If you're like me, you've probably had these questions pop around in your head, so I'm going to read them off. Have you ever wondered, am I truly making a difference in my life, or am I just going through the motions, doing the same thing over and over again? Are you wondering, am I doing the right things, or are there things that I shouldn't be doing that I'm not doing, or things that I should be doing? What, what am I doing? Am I giving my life away for something that matters? That's the real question. Am I giving my life to something that actually matters? Here's a really good question. Am I leaving a legacy of Jesus that will make a difference past my life? Am I leaving a legacy of Jesus that will make a difference past my years here on earth? These are deep questions that I think we need to understand. How are we going to finish? What will we do in our finishing years? And I think starting with the end in mind is important. So if you're in the room today and you say, okay, I'm in high school, I'm a hope youth, or, or maybe I'm towards the end of my life, the question is the same. With the time that I have left, I can't change the past. With the time that I have left, what can I do to make a difference? What can I do to make an impact? What can I do to finish well? The ultimate goal of every one of us in this room is to get to heaven someday and to see God and God to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Right? That's the goal of us to get to heaven and to have God respond in that way. And then to have God respond and say, hey, these are the things that I gave you. And you use them for my kingdom come. You use them for my will be done. You didn't use them for your own. You weren't perfect because nobody will be. But you at least strived after me. That's the goal. That we can get to the end and stand in front of Jesus and have him say, welcome home, good and faithful servant. That's the goal. So how do we finish well? Point number one is, is really simple. I already said it, so I'll say it again, is run your race. Run your race. So if you're taking notes, the first point is run your race. Let's get to Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, starting in verse 1. We're just going to read verse 1 just for right now. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There are a few things that I think we need to predecide if we're going to finish well. We need to run our race. We need to run our race. 
the example that I gave with me racing this, this gentleman is a perfect example that we can get caught racing against somebody else, racing against someone's career timeline, someone's marriage, someone's children, someone's house, someone's car, someone's 401k, and we can miss out on all that God has for us. Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. We live in a day and age where it's very difficult to just focus on us and what we are doing. And I don't think comparison is new, because obviously that's an old quote, right? Like comparison is not something that's new that we're just now dealing with for social media. It's definitely not. It's something we've been dealing with for generations. Look throughout the history of the Bible, right? Look throughout the history of the Bible. There's, there's this guy, Paul, in the, Old Testament, or in the New Testament, right? You, you probably know Paul. Paul has a frustration, and he's mad that people don't listen to his sermons like they do Apollos. It's in the New Testament when he's talking in Corinthians. He said, they like Apollos' preaching, but people fall asleep and fall out of windows when I'm preaching, right? He's frustrated because people aren't paying attention to him. But he said, no, I need to run the race I have. But I know that you've given him gifts and you've given me gifts. I need to focus on my gifts. I think we compare ourselves with other people's social media fiends, with their online perception, and everything in between. It doesn't matter what field you're in, right? It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, if you're in the business world, if you're in construction, if you're a teacher. It does not matter what you're in. We all compare ourselves. It's normal human behavior. But it doesn't really matter because there will always be someone out there who's bigger, better, stronger, faster than you. It's just the reality of the world that we live in. There's someone who has a business, they'll build it faster. Someone who will sell more products. Someone who will do better online content. Someone who, you know, graduated college at 16. You know what I mean? Like someone who has the perfect life and it seems like their kids never do anything crazy, right? From the online perception. We get caught in these comparisons and they steal our joy. Last year, my goal was to spend the entire year off of social media. Now, I did not make it. Um, I definitely slipped up, and I jumped on to post some things, and, and uh, you know, and, and I shouldn't have, uh, but I stayed off pretty much. You know, I jumped on a little bit, and then finally I just let Kaylee run our social media, and it's 10 times better. So, you know what I mean? I just need to get off of that, right? And then I came back when we were launching because I had to make a post because I felt like I was compelled to. But most of the year, I spent off of social media, and I can honestly tell you, this year, being March, I had way more contentment and peace last year at this time than I do at this year at this time. Because I'm thinking to myself, I'm comparing myself with other pastors and how their churches are growing and what's happening there, with other, with other fathers and where they're at with their children, with other people in their houses. And it's constant comparison. I'm just scrolling, 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 scrolling. I'm double tapping out of frustration because I'm like, yeah, this is fake, right? No, I'm not running my race when I'm focusing on somebody else. I wasn't concerned with the latest trends. I wasn't concerned with anything other than being faithful to what God has called me to be faithful to. So let me ask you just a very simple question. How much of your time are you spending focusing on what others do? 
How much of your time are you giving to focusing on what other people do in their life, how they parent, how they live, where they live, what they do, other than what God has called you to do? The author of Hebrews says this, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and what he's referring to is Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, he walks through all of the giants of the faith. Okay, he walks through Abraham, Moses, Samson, Elijah, Elisha. He talks through all of them. They had great faith. Ruth, they had t- he talks through every single person who had great faith throughout the Old Testament. He said, these are the great witnesses. And he said, listen, you can learn from them. You can learn from them to not be like them, and you can learn from their mistakes to grow and to move forward. Let their lives be an example for you. So if you're going to finish well, I think we need to have a plan. We need to have a plan of what we are going to do. We need to pre-decide that I'm going to live for Christ. But how do you do that? You learn from past experience. So when you read the Bible, you can trust of who God is based on his past experience, based on what he's done. You, you don't hire someone based on their potential of what they could be, partially, but you hire them most times based on their resume of what they have done. If they have no jobs on their resume, they're probably not going to be put up for an executive level position because they have no experience. So your life, as you consistently log experience, you log hours and you log understanding. You learn from the past. There's a saying that says the best teacher is the toughest situations because those situations produce the best lessons. If you're able to learn from this cloud of witnesses, right? So you're able to look at the life of David. And you're like, David, a guy after God's own heart. That's great. Don't stand on top of a roof and look at a woman bathing like he did. Cool. I'll learn from both of those things, right? You know what I mean? Like, I can learn from both of these things. I can learn from Elijah, his, his power to call down God's fire from heaven. I can also learn from him turning away from God and running and hiding that God called and pulled him out. I can learn from this great cloud of witnesses. And this is the power that we have in community. Truly, I believe this is the power we have in community. You can learn from the cloud of witnesses, but you can learn from one another here at this church. That's why I love that the one-minute timer goes and then we have the sermon bumper. Literally, no one's paying attention to the sermon bumper because we're all talking. And then after service, people are hanging out here for a few hours because it's a community It's not just an event that happens at 10.02 on a Sunday morning. It's a community. And that's what God is calling us to, to be that cloud of witnesses. So let me ask you a quick, quick question. What's in your hand? What has God given you? The gifts he's given you, the talents he's given you, the time he's given you. What's in your hand and how are you using that? What's in your hand, and how are you using it? Are you stewarding it well? You're not going to steward it well all the time, but how are you stewarding it? I think the, the power in community is coming together as we can call out great things in one another, and we can also call out weaknesses, right? That's why I love band practice on Sunday morning. It's always chaotic, right? It's always chaotic and crazy, but we're calling out, hey, you're getting better at this, or hey, you're out of time here. 
You need to change this. The same thing that happens in this type of community should be happening in our lives, in small groups, in communities, in one-on-one relationships. You can't just live a life where everyone is your yes man and says you're so great at everything. Sometimes you need to have a friend who has a hard conversation with you and says, no, 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 you're running somebody else's race. It's time to run yours again. No, you're, you're looking over here. It's time to look back up here. So the first point is run your race. The second point is this. Remember who ran before you. Remember who ran before you. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to keep reading, starting in verse 2. We're going to read verses 2 and 3 now. It says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus. I think if you're going to finish well, it's simple. We need to consider Jesus of what he's done. Consider who he is. Jesus is the one who ran before you, right? Jesus is the one who paved the way for us. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. But can we just be honest in a moment of vulnerability? That's difficult. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. You know what I mean, right? That's difficult to be like, man, Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith when you're frustrated in your marriage or you're frustrated at your job or your, your 401k is dropped by $10,000 because of the inflation and you're like, man, this is so hard, so frustrating and so easy to lose perspective. But look at the life of Jesus. I think a lot of times as Christians, we think, if I'm just perfect, my life will be good. And a lot of Christians have told you, it's because you sin so much or because you're a sinner that your life is hard. And I don't think that's true. Jesus never sinned, and his life was very hard. Jesus lived a perfect life, but he had a hard life. He was beaten he was tortured, he was broken for you and for me. So consider him who endured such opposition for sinners. And I strive to preach the truth, honestly, I really do. I, I wanna preach the truth. I don't like preaching uh, just things that make us feel good. I really don't, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. If it's not biblical and it's not something that just, you know, if it's just something that makes you feel good, it's not gonna hold any water. So then what's going to happen is you're going to get in a tough situation and you're going to say, Pastor Jeff is a liar because he told me that if I just did this, everything would be hunky-dory, but it's not. And I don't know why I just pulled hunky-dory. That's such an old term. Blame it on the T, you know what I mean? So when I say this, I, don't, I want you to know that I don't say it lightly. Suffering is normal, and Jesus is good. Death is normal, and Jesus is good. Pain is normal, and Jesus is good. I think too often we, pro pro we proclaim a cheap gospel that's filled with no pain and no suffering, and if you pray right, or if you believe enough, or if you do the right things, then you'll just have a good, easy life. Unfortunately, not only is that not found in Scripture, the exact opposite is found in Scripture. That you will, Jesus said, in this world you 
will have trouble. You will have trouble, he said. In this world, you will have pain. Why? Because we weren't designed for this world. As humans, we were designed as Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve at the beginning, when God created them, were designed to live without sin until they both ate of the fruit and caused sin to come into the world. Adam and Eve were never meant to die. They were meant to live as eternal beings. But when sin entered the world and entered their bodies, their life changed, and all of history changed. So if you think to yourself, man, we weren't meant for all this pain. We weren't meant for all this suffering. We weren't meant for all of these things. You're right. We weren't. We were meant to walk with God in the cool of the garden and to live with him for eternity, but sin entered the world, and now we have to deal with the ramifications of that sin. And the ramifications of that sin is pain, suffering, and death. But that does not mean that Jesus is not good. I feel like that's such a difficult thing to swallow. Such a difficult pill to swallow. In this world, you will have trouble. I've committed to this because not only do I see it scripturally, but I see it in my personal life as well. Man, there's questions that I have about my life that make no sense. And I don't think they will make sense until I get to see face of Jesus and he explains it to me. And I don't know what his explanation is going to be. I don't speak for God. Remember Jesus. Remember the one who went before you. He took on an arrest. He took on beatings. He took on a literal torture device. And what did it say? You can put that scripture back up. For the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He took on the cross with joy. He took on pain and suffering with joy because he knew the ultimate result was that you would have an opportunity to come and to meet him and to have salvation in him. And not only that, think about this. Jesus left heaven. Like, he came down from heaven. Heaven, the perfect place where everything's awesome, where calories are free. Come on, Jesus, you know what I mean? Let's hope that's true, you know what I mean? Where there's a Chick-fil-A on every corner, right? Calories are free and all this stuff. Right? He left heaven, the right hand of God, to come down and to live with us, to live like us. Remember the one who went before you. How does this help you finish well? I think this helps you finish well because it puts into perspective when you go through hard times in your life, you can expect these hard times are coming because you know that this is what is the world we live in. This is a world, this is a fallen, broken, sinful world. We know these things are going to happen. So where do we put our hope? Not in the world, not in false hope, not in something that says we'll do it and it won't do it. We put our hope in Jesus. Life is not easy, but I believe with the help of Jesus, we can finish well. With the help of Jesus, we can finish well. Third point is this. Reach to bring others with you. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 18 now, so flip ahead a little bit. Starting in verse 18. I'm going to explain this. It may not make sense, but I'm going to explain it for you. 
He says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that you heard it begged that no further a word would be spoken because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. This is him talking back to the Old Testament now that there was a mountain that God was on and Moses said, hey, the Israelites, come out. I wanna, God wants to show you himself. He can't show you all of himself, but he can come down into a cloud. And so God comes down into the cloud, and the people of God are walking out, and then they see it, and they see the power of it, and they run for their lives because they're so afraid at the trembling spirit of the Lord, the power and the holiness that he has from the mountain, they will not touch. In fact, the scripture said that if an animal touched it, it would die. So this, this, is, this is signifying a very specific thing, that Moses went up to be with God, but Moses was special. He was not just any one of us, right? Moses was special so he could go up to be with God. And when Moses came down from being with God, it was like he was an angel. People couldn't even look at him because he was so holy after being in the presence of God. So that's what he's talking about here, verse 22. But you have come now to Mount Zion, the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in a joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Right? So in Jewish faith, I'm going to explain this, in, 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 I'm going to hope to explain this, I should say. In Jewish faith, mountains are very important, okay? You would have a man of God who would go up a mountain. God would speak to this man. He would come down and tell the people what was happening or a significant event. There's very specific mountains. Here they are. Mount Arat, that's Noah's ark rested on the top of this mountain. So this is a very specific and powerful mountain in the Jewish faith. Mount Sinai, this is where Moses was given the Ten Commandments, and he comes down. Mount Gerizim, this is where the Israelites stood on top of it and proclaimed blessings over the promised land, right? Then there's Mount Nebu, this is where Moses saw the promised land and that he wasn't let in, right? So he gets up, and because he sinned against God, because of that faith, he was not allowed into the promised land, so he dies on this mountain, and he's buried on that mountain. Mount Moriah. This is where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, but then God sent a ram in his place. The sacrifice, the showing, the shadow of Jesus, the things to come. Mount Carmel. This is where Elijah was de defeated the prophets of Baal, and then he runs away and hides in a different mountain. Runs and hides in Mount Sinai, actually. Then there's another mountain, and this is the one that Hebrew speaks about. Mount Zion. Mount Zion is Jesus. And the author is essentially saying that all of history went like this. God's man went up to meet with God. He had a special relationship with God. He's the only one who could commune with God. Otherwise, he was going to die if anyone else came up and tried to communicate with God. If they went into the Holy of Holies, into the temple, they would fall on the ground. They used to tie ropes around the priests in case they had sinned. If they got into the presence of God, they would fall dead, and then they have no way to get them out, so they'd have to pull them out with a rope, right? 
So it was always about being a specific way. It was always about being holy enough. It was always about being blessed enough. It was always about being the specific one person that God could connect to. Now, Mount Zion is different. Because of Jesus, let's read it again. Go back, go back to verse 22. But now you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, and the heavenly Jerusalem, where you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in a joyful assembly, the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Jesus, the mediator, the new covenant, and to sprinkle blood that speaks a better word than Abel. Right? What he's comparing and contrasting here is that these mountains show that we could not have access. But through Jesus, everyone has the same access. And Jesus came down from heaven to earth to create a new pathway, to reach back and create a new pathway. Otherwise, none of us could be saved. So he created this new mountain, Mount Zion. He came down so that we could accept his path of grace and truth. And I believe he expects us to do the same. Now that he has created a pathway for us to get to Jesus, once you find and have faith and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, which in, in a moment I'm going to give us an opportunity if anyone in the room wants to give their life to Jesus or rededicate it, I'm going to do that in just a moment. Once you have that salvation, God says, now your mission is different. Now your goal is to do what Jesus did, is to reach down and create a pathway for someone to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's look at this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Think about this. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He looked out at the world and he thought, man, are they broken. Then he said to his disciples, with that in mind, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus looks out at the crowd. He looks out at the community, and he says specifically, they're broken, they're hurting, they're in pain. So now, disciples, look out there. The harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. So get to work. Reach to bring people into the fold. Reach to bring people to the gospel. I think if we're going to finish well, it's not only about us getting to the end and saying, having Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. I would like a line of people that I can say, man, I talked to that person at Starbucks and shared the gospel with them and they got, found faith in Jesus and then they found this person and then they found this person and then they found this person and then they found this person. I'd like to have a story when I get up there that God said, hey, this is what I gave you and this is what you used. And through the gifts that I gave you and the impact, look at how many people came to faith. You did well. You finished well. I think part of finishing well is sharing the gospel with the people around us. It's with our family members that we don't like. 
It's with our community, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our coworkers. It's sharing the gospel with people to tell them that Jesus is good, that he has created a new pathway for us to find faith and hope. I truly believe that for us to finish well, we need to run our race. We need to remember who ran before us, but we need to reach out and pull people to Jesus. We need to look out at the community and see compassion. We do not need to see political ideology. We do not need to see specific agendas. We need to look out and see compassion. And when we see compassion, we see that they are hurting or they are broken. And we can say, hey, I know somebody. And his name is Jesus. And I want to share him with you. So just like a month from now, we're going to have Easter here at church. And in two weeks, we're going to hand out invite cards to Easter. So I want to encourage you to bring somebody to Easter with you. In fact, when I first started as a church, uh, church pastor, church planter in Appleton, my lead pastor said to me, every single week, Jeff, you need to send me five names of people that you invited to church every single week. And if you don't send it to me, I will text you. And he was not somebody you want to mess around with. He's somebody who might cut my pay or something if I didn't send it, right? And it was like 14 weeks in a row. And there were times it was Saturday at 5 o'clock, and I thought, man, I did not invite a single person. Guess I'm going to Target, and I'm going to be that guy, right? But he beat it into my head. It's not just about what you do in your personal life. It's you need to reach out. You need to step out of your comfort zone. You need to tell people about Jesus. Tell people about how good he is, that there's a new mountain, there's a new way, and his name is Jesus. So we're going to pass out invite cards, and I want to challenge you guys to do the same thing. It's a month away, not five a week. How about one a week? Invite one person a week to church. Maybe some of you, you're like, man, I'm, I'm never doing that, and that's okay. Maybe some of you, you're like, one a week? I could hit 10. Come on. I know you can do it. Why? Because we want people like Jesus who see that they're hurting and broken. And Jesus is saying, listen, church, harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So will you take this challenge? I believe finishing well is bringing a crowd with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for each and every person in this room. I thank you that we are here to finish well. We are here to trust in you. We are here to give you everything that we have. I pray today that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us, and that we would come to know you more. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.